You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your fearless leader, Andrew Lowen, and I'm joined, as always, by Rick and Sean, who get no titles today, because we're joined by a guest. His name is Dan Bowe. He is, among many other things, my sales trainer. He's the reason that I didn't fail and go out of business at a point early in my career. He encouraged me, challenged me. He was uh, just exactly what I needed to, to survive and thrive in the business that I had chosen. And I'm so, you know, I was I was thinking about a topic which is really relevant to everybody listening right now, which is um, how customers think. You know, a lot of the time when I'm dealing with clients, you know, all of us really, it's like, hey, you need to talk about this, that, or the other. And it's not what our clients expected. A lot of the time they ask for things like, uh, you know, or they, they expect we would need to describe the game or, or, or whatever it is that we're selling. When in actuality, that's not what people are looking to buy. They're not looking to buy a, a product. They're more looking to buy an experience. And to get uh, just a shift in mindset, I thought it would be really great if we could talk and have a conversation about the inner monologue that is going on inside the mind of the consumer because the conversation you're trying to have with them is not what conversation you need to have in order to sell them on your stuff. And so who better to talk about all this stuff than the man that taught me everything I know, Dan Bo. Welcome. Uh, thank you. So, so honored to be on it. And when you're talking about your early career, and it is pivotal moments that really define our lives from that point forward. And that's really why I got into sales training. I really fought it. I didn't want to be a sales trainer. And and we can go into that story a little bit deeper in this conversation. But the ultimate decision was really helping out people who are passionate about something and have to move something forward. And so what we're going to be talking about is isn't so much sales. It's simply how people make decisions. It is not logically like we think, like we want to think. It's not rationally. They're using these shortcuts to the decision-making process, and we're going to be able to define a couple of those. But most importantly, uh, relevant to your introduction, is that since that moment, you've been able to help out a lot of people. You've been successful in various industries, and That's the whole point of putting on that six-week course is everybody in that classroom of that six-week course uh, showing up once a week, learning how people make decisions, learning how to be more influential. They all had something that they were passionate about that they wanted to move forward. Uh, A lot of them had graduate degrees and were in industries of really helping people, yet they didn't really know how to move people through a sales process amiably without being pushy and proddy. So I really want to honor you yep. for everything that you've been able to do career-wise that helped out so many people since the time that we originally met a long, long time ago. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that you said uh, the pushy, proddy salesperson. I think I took that phrase directly from you. And uh, to give people a little bit of background, Dan encouraged me to, to join his six-week sales course. And that changed the way that I looked at selling and I sold a lot more stuff, even in the middle of the course. I mean, it just 
I paid for the course within like the first week of uh, start or like in, in week two, I made an extra sale. There's no way in heck I would have made otherwise. And, you know, that pushy, pretty salesperson, that's what I think so many people are afraid of, of coming across as somebody who's uncaring and only values their own pocketbook. And I think that that really holds a lot of our clients back before, or even a lot of our listeners, people trying to do this, this crowdfunding thing themselves, they have to be a salesperson because you need people to support your idea with their wallet in order for it to become a reality. So our clients are, and listeners are very interested in selling, but they hate the idea of becoming that pushy, proddy salesperson that or, you know, in other, I mean, I've heard it described as commission breath and other things like that. But I, I would love to uh, to chat about that. But first, would you give us a little bit of a, an intro on, on uh, you know, where, you know, what your background is like and, and what you're up to? Yeah, I would uh, rather talk about anything else other <laughs> than myself. Uh, but uh, let's do a, a really brief history of, of how we got here. And I guess the most important thing is I never thought I was signing up to be a salesperson when I got into business. So had a family, two young kids, and a really respectable job. I made golf clubs for all the pros. I, I've made golf clubs for Tiger Woods, Ar uh, Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicklaus, uh, um, and, and a lot of pros back in the day. And it supported my family, got my family insurance, but it wasn't that much money. And I knew there was a business environment out there that I was not a part of. And my wife got into escrow. I asked her, who's making all the money in real estate? And she says, well, the people that are doing the loans. And so I took it upon myself to get uh, certified for that, get a job doing that, thinking that I was going to show up with all this expertise on helping people get financing for their homes and then do their financing. I didn't know that I was going to essentially become a salesperson that had to go out there and get my own business, 100% commission. Mm -hmm. You got to understand at this point, I don't even know how to use a copy machine, right? But to have <laughs> a business conversation with somebody was far above my skill level. And so that's really where I came from is all of a sudden I had this suit and tie, you know, I had a desk, I had a phone and I had no business. And so I really had to learn how to have business conversations and, uh, and went a year working two full-time jobs. One thing that you'll get from me, I hope, is a sense of a strong work ethic. And I think that's definitely key to our success. And so I worked two full-time jobs to transition to finance. I would be at the golf club company for eight hours, and then I'd be at the finance company for eight hours, five days a week, and didn't make any money in finance, but I was learning skills. I was learning how to talk to people. I was just learning, really, I want to say building relationships and what that took. And ultimately, after failing miserably for an entire year, I started making money and was able to make twice as much per month as my yearly salary at the golf club company. Now, 
that brought a new lifestyle for my family, for my kids. My kids now got everything they wanted for Christmas. And it really was around how to talk to people. Uh, it was also a lot around finding what people wanted to buy. I realized that in finance, in the industry, it was very dishonorable. And all people wanted was to be told the truth. And so I was able to communicate that to them effectively that, look, I don't know that I can get you the best deal on this, the best rates, the best closing costs. But one thing is whatever I say right now is going to happen at the end. And that's most likely not going to happen if you go somewhere else. And so I was able to capitalize on that. And so that's really how I got into just wanting to learn about connecting with other people and, and building relationships and the whole sales, for lack of a better term, industry. And from there, it amazed me that I was able to actually, with nothing more than a mind shift change in learning the sales skills, able to create a new, really, lifestyle for, for my myself and realize there's other people that might not go after their dreams, might, might have a goal and might be apprehension, apprehensive or fearful to go after it. And so from there, I quit and I, and I walked away from the finance industry and I started putting on um, experiential seminars where people learn from their own experiences where they're holding themselves back. And some of these are terrifying experiences. They even appear to be life-threatening in some cases. And from that, uh, I put on experiences that have been seen on the Ellen DeGeneres show, uh, the Janice Dickinson show, uh, MTV a few different times, their reality show. Uh, and so that was really about inspiring people to go after whatever their dream is. Usually it has to do with business, starting a new company, a new business adventure, uh, business adventure, I should say. And then that transition to teaching the sales course when I got one call from a, a psychologist that asked me a sales question. And so ever since that point, I've just been fascinated with the sales conversation and have done everything I can do to learn from people who have written books on how people make decisions and how to be more influential. I was just wondering, where did you two meet? Oh, that's a fun story. You want to tell that one, Dan? Uh, you might even remember it more than I do. Is it MMA related? Uh, earlier, we were talking about street brawling, yeah. uh, but it is not. It's actually 100% a business environment. So uh, yeah. you may you may be better at, at, at talking. Uh, most likely, it was at a networking event, no? Yep. It, yeah, it was. Um, actually, I quit. So I was working full-time as an emergency medical technician in a hospital, and I made the decision to quit what I was, and I, I intended to be a firefighter, uh, but I started this business part-time selling websites and, you know, story short is I had a really hard night in the hospital where a lot of people died and terrible things happened. And I uh, decided to quit what I was doing and go try to sell websites full-time because I decided all I cared about was residual income that, you know, and I thought after... 25 years of being a firefighter, you can retire and get a guaranteed paycheck and whatnot. But I thought maybe I could do it faster through business. So I started making cold calls. And uh, one cold call I made, I insulted a man by telling him that his website looked terrible in so many words. And he told me, my son designed my website. Ouch. And Yes. And so I did not make that sale. Well, the shows. And he was like, yeah. 
<laughs> did he do it is on he, his Nintendo Wii? Years or old? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he, the guy was like a former Navy SEAL and he was like, you know what? You are the worst salesperson that I have ever heard in my entire life. And you need to talk to this guy, Dan Bo. I'm giving you his number right now and you, you better talk to him. And did I call Dan? No, I shoved that traumatic experience deep down into the darkest recesses of my mind. And I locked it away. And about a month later, I went to this networking group and Dan was there. He's a super friendly guy and extremely interested in other people which I actually do think is a key to selling. I think that if you talk about yourself all the time, uh, that you can't be a, a, you can't do a good job at selling stuff because you need to learn about what other people care about. And uh, so anyway, Dan is just a, you know, an awesome dude. But uh, so we got to talking there, and then he talked to me about his sales course, and I basically said I have no money. And Dan's like, "Well, isn't that why you should take the course?" Uh, I was just like, well, I mean, yes and no. Like, how do you how do you spend money you don't have? And you know, I it was like, I had basically three months worth of money stocked away that was meant for my mortgage and bills. But then when that three months was out, I was you know basically going to lose my house. So every sale that I made of a website was basically staving off that that you know, I go homeless moment. Right. And my hope was that I could sell enough that I would, uh, you know, push that to four five, six months, and then indefinitely have a small business and be a small business owner and, uh, and succeed. And so there came this point where I, I said, look, I, you know, I'm, I, I don't know that I can do it. And, uh, Dan made it really, really hard to say no, because he just kept telling me, he just kept saying things that made so much sense, you know, like uh, that thing that I just mentioned about how, you know, I, I don't have the money. It's like, well, isn't that why you should, you know, you're going to learn how to sell and make a lot more money. And so one day I just called him up and I'm like, Dan, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to do this. And I just made a decision that I'm going to do it. And uh, I think and that's kind of how it's kind of how it happened. So we can go into how people went to a networking event to sell their stuff and then just somehow ended up in a one evening sales course for $59 and for $59 and then then from there just happened to sign up for a six week course, which I think at the time was like $1,800 or something. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd usually give a discount on that. There's so much value in a process for me. I'm very process driven. It's like, I don't want to do something once and then have to figure out how to do it again. I want to figure out what's the process for this and then just keep doing it. And so Andrew actually is, a, his process of getting to the sales course is a little bit different than I would say 99% of the other people because he had a lot of initiative. I remember after meeting him, him coming to my office and we met in my conference room and we talked about sales and he talked a lot about himself and and then he left. I'm really good at that. And, and then he left. <laughs> and um, and I don't know how much longer it was after that, but I'm sitting out at my swimming pool with my cell phone and it rings and it's Andrew. And he says, Dan Bo, I wasn't ready to take your sales course back when we met, 
but I'm ready to take it now. Here's my credit card. I don't know if he paid for the full amount. Most of the people that took the sales course, I would finance it for him, whatever made it easier. I didn't want to cut into you know, other responsibilities. And he gave my, my credit card, he gave me his credit card right there and signed up for it. But do you all want to hear my process for funneling people in from a networking event to a sales course? Absolutely. You know, I find that this process, the, you know, uh, so I, a uh, little aside, I, uh, we do a lot of Kickstarter marketing, a lot of crowdfunding and on GameFound and Kickstarter, which are two crowdfunding platforms. And I find that the process we use to funnel people into, you know, basically make them raving fans of a, of a product so that they're ready to back it when it goes live on Kickstarter, about 85% of that is the same as any sales process at all. And I am fascinated by that. I had this experience where I started neighborhood jujitsu classes and it took about four days and my garage was filled with, with 17 people that wanted to do jujitsu. And I used the same principles that we use for um, selling on Kickstarter. And it just blew my mind. And so I am extremely interested personally just to hear what your process was like, because I feel like it's so universally, it's going to be so universally applicable. Two things I, I think would be of value as you were talking, I thought of, and, and number one, just going into the process of, of how I filled these sales courses. Also, there's a process that I've used. I've been really successful in using for cold calls. Now you think of cold calls as calling somebody and trying to, to, to move them forward and get them to do something. And if we have time to go over my process for cold calls, you'll realize that it's really fit to how the other person wants to be treated. And uh, in, the, in the cold call process, I used to build up uh, my marketing business, which did marketing for Harley Davidson dealerships, which may be the hardest industry ever to make a cold call on, which ultimately allowed me to have my remote income to where I sold all my furniture and went and lived in, in Italy for a while. Mm -hmm. And so if we talk about those two processes, I think we'll really be covering what you said at the beginning that, hey, I want real world stories here. I don't want theory. I don't want principles. Like, let's talk about what really happens in the real world. And so I would go to a networking event and I may go to three of them a day. And there may be anywhere from 15 to 50 people at these events. And I had a process. I was going to introduce myself in a certain way. I was going to get a business card from that person. And then there was a whole process that was going to happen after I left. And I had a goal of, of how many contacts I was going to get. I knew I was limited. If there's 50 people, I may have a goal of getting 20 contacts. Now, in networking events, the biggest mistake I see people make is as we're both walking out of a networking event, I'll ask that person, hey, did you make any good contacts? And they'll pull out one business card and they'll say, yeah, I met somebody who was really interested. And I'm thinking, you didn't meet somebody that was really interested. You met somebody that's going to try to sell you their stuff and they acted interested and you don't have a process to funnel through everybody at that networking event and create intrigue and get them engaged and then close them. You're just looking for that easy sale. And so I had a goal. Maybe it is to get 15 business cards. And when I introduced myself, 
they're looking to put what I say, my title, into a box and then categorize it with something they're familiar with in order to, how do I say, jump to a decision on if I bring value or not. So I wouldn't give them that. I'm not going to go there and say, well, I'm an attorney because they're associating me with whatever they know about attorneys, right? I'm not going to say I'm a sales trainer, I'm not gonna say whatever it is, right? As most people do. So they'd ask me, well, what do you do? And I'd look at them and I'd kind of think a little bit and I would say this, I'd say, you know what? Objections are difficult to overcome in the sales process. And all of a sudden I'd see their face tensions change. Like all of a sudden they open up and I'd pause. And then I'd say, and if we don't overcome those objections, we just end up being a free consultant. I put on a one evening sales course on how to overcome those objections so that people who have to sell their own services don't end up being a free, a free consultant so that people don't end up being a free consultant. Now I know that they just got done trying to sell somebody on something and the other person asked them a bunch of questions and they walked away without a sale feeling like a free consultant. I just really dug into their gut of what they were thinking, <laughs> right? Because I know, I know the market. I know people that are going to networking events. And then I'd shut up and I'd say, but enough about me. What about you? What do you do? And that was the end of our conversation. The rest of it was new sports weather, right? I, don't, mm-hmm. I want to talk about anything other than my business at that point. All I wanted to do was create a problem in their head and create intrigue. And of course, I've already defined myself as a solution, right? And it was just one thing, how to overcome an objection in a sales process. So I have their business card and I would say that 15 times, 20 times to the people that I meet. Same process. The very next day, I'm going to call them up and I am going to do anything other than talk about business. I'm not going to mention my sales course. I don't want to hear their problem selling or I want to get on and off that phone with a friendly conversation. Because at this point, where are they at in the sales process? Their defenses are up. They're waiting for me to sell them something, right? And their defenses have to come down in order for them to hear what I have to say. So every single one of those, whether I think they're interested or not, I call them up the very next day and I have a database and all this is going into my database as a process. And I call them up. We talk about whatever is important to them, their kids, puppies, karate, whatever it is. And then I get off the phone and they get off the phone thinking, wow, Dan's a nice guy. You know, he likes to talk with people. And and I do, you know, I get a lot of value. And it's these people that I'm talking about are now some of my best friends. I mean, Andrew's a good example of that, right? You know, we don't look at a prospect as an opposing party. Like it's my job to sell them on my services, have them get value from it. And then they become a lifelong friend or grateful. And that's the whole process. So this isn't about being deceitful. It's about formulating a process that works for the client. So now they get off the phone and they're actually open at this point to hearing what I have to say. And two days later, I'm going to call them again and they're going to answer the phone. Oh, Dan likes to, to talk. He, he calls people and we, we talk about, you know, my son's baseball and stuff. And the conversation starts out the same, except in this conversation, I'm going to ask one question at some point in the, in, in the conversation. And 
it is going to be something like, all right, so you mentioned that you sell this service, you know, and you're educated on it and went to college for it and everything. What's one part of the sales process you'd like to improve on? And they may say something, well, you know, transitioning from a friendly conversation to business, or they may say something like, well, getting the credit card and the commitment at the end or overcome the objection. Let me think about it. Overcome the objection. Let me talk to my partner. They may say something like that. Now, I've already mentioned my one evening sales course at my introduction at the networking events. I I mentioned that is a $59.95 sales course, you know, one evening sales course. You know, I mentioned that price. So I ask them that question, what would you like to improve on the sales process? And they mentioned something. The very next thing out of my mouth is, look, I have the sales course. It's $59.95. I have a new book out. It's called Beating the Demons. It's about really being more productive and overcoming our own reluctance. And I'm promoting that. It's $20. If you buy my book for $20, I'll give you the ticket for the one evening sales course for free. If I got that far in the conversation, I I would say probably more than 90% of the people would give me their credit card for the book. And the book goes out and an actual ticket to the sales course goes out. It's perforated just like a ticket you would need to get into any event, right? We're still building the value there. And now it's a three-hour sales course. And I'm diving into how we become, uh, how we play into the buyer's game, the buyer's process, how they use us to get information and then they shut down and go away. And then they come back and act interested and get more information and then they go away. And and for three hours, they're really learning not only valuable skills, but they're also learning there's a process to this and my process isn't working. So of course, at the end of the one evening sales course, I offer a six week sales course. That's going to be the thing to where once they sign up for that, they're coming there once a week to a classroom. It's either going to be a classroom I'm renting or at a university. And they're learning a couple principles of a 10 step sales process. And then they're going out and practicing those all week. And then they're coming back and learning a couple more principles and then practicing those all week. At the end of the six week course, they have a process of knowing what to do when they wake up in the morning to get new clients, how to contact them, how to close them, how to go through the whole process there to get new clients. Some of my best friends that I still hang out with today just simply went through that process of meeting them at a networking event and taking them through that process to where they ended up in the six-week course. And after the six-week course, uh, I would let students redo it for free after that, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they would- Yep, I redid it once as well. Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah. charge you for that, did I? No, no, okay, but yeah, I, I yeah, brought because... I brought some friends. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that, that and of course, referrals, referrals <laughs> were a, a big part of that, right? You know, and so it had to be valuable. And, and there's one thing I got to say is nothing ruins brilliant marketing quicker than a bad product. So even though we're talking about being more influential and in sales processes and, and brilliant marketing, it's got to be a good product. It's got to right. be something valuable. It's got to be something that people are talking good about when they walk away from it. And so, so that was just a simple process, step by step, of of taking people from introduction. They don't know who I am, never heard of me, to actually first giving them giving me their credit card over the phone. Now you got to understand they're on the phone to sell me something, right? And they're getting off the phone, giving me their credit card to actually signing up for something that is a substantial investment, a substantial training, a six-week sales course. 
pretty awesome. And I, I heard so much that was similar to what it is that we do for our clients. You know, we, we, we always preach about, you, you know, you have to have a system and as much automation as you can, and you have to have a way to bank the results of your marketing and things like that. So, you know, it, it feels like getting a business card is a lot like getting an email. You don't really have a commitment at all. You just have the right to contact that person again. You know, they've given you the the right and privilege to solicit them relevant information, I guess. But it's still at a point where you're an arm's length away and they can cut off communication at any time they want. You know, they can just unsubscribe uh, or whatever. So what you really have to do when you connect with people every single time is add value to that person and you'll, you know, retain the right to communicate with them. And uh, I think that, you know, you talked about a couple of uh, what I would consider landmines that you smartly avoid. Like the first, you know, you, you meet someone at a networking event, you, you get their business card, you call them the next day. Naturally, I think he's going to sell me on his services because that's our only thread of connection is that we met at a business networking event. So of course he's going to call me about his business. When you don't, it's, you know, when it's just a kind of a personal phone call, like it was great meeting you and you know, this and that. And then that's the end of the call. It was like, well, that surprised, that surprised me, you know? (laughs) And I think that it definitely goes to show that the, you know, in, in what it is that we do, it's very possible to totally blow it if you put the cart before the horse if you if you care about a person and what it is that they need then surely you will talk to them about things that they want to talk about you'll talk to them about things that they want to talk about and i mean it's it's a joke about like you know somebody adding a friend on facebook and then immediately after they accept the friend's request Hey, uh, can I tell you about my Kickstarter is just such a joke because it's like, I barely know you and you're trying to sell me on your stuff. This is, you know, I just, you know, unfriend or block people when they, when they do things like that, because I I feel like they're just, they don't care about me at all. They just care about selling the thing that they have to sell. You know, I'd love to kind of get into that pushy, proddy salesperson. What, what makes a person feel like you know, you're pushy and proddy and a salesperson. I think salesperson's a bad word in a lot of people's mindset. You know, if they, you know, I know for myself, I, I, I think I've said this before in our podcast, if somebody tells me that I'm a good salesman, it means I'm a bad salesman. Right. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. That is an insult. If somebody says, Oh, you're a good salesman. I'm like, Oh, ouch. Yeah. So, so yeah. I, yeah. It's you, you bring up a good point. And I, and I think obviously when we think of taking a sales course, we think somebody's going to teach us how to be a pushy proddy salesperson. And I'd like to think the differentiating factor in what I taught is that I'm going to show you how not to be right. And I think we become pushy and proddy salespeople when we don't know what to say, when we're not trained on how people go about making decisions, which, which we haven't really dived into yet here, you know, the psychology of how people are making decisions all day long, not just on sales. But there's one thing that was in my process that I talked about uh, that I can 
I can give to everybody to use in their emails. And I skipped over it really quick and we can break it down really quick because this is a way of talking about your business without talking about your business, without being pushy and proddy. And it's the part where I was saying how I introduce myself. And I don't know if you recognize this or Andrew, but that fit right into a template that was taught in my sales course. And the template was simply this. I'll, I'll say the template, then I'll say how what I said fit into it. But the template is, first, you just state a problem. And what was the problem that I said when I met somebody? Objections are difficult to overcome in the sales process, right? That's a problem. And it's got to be a problem that they're not going to argue with in their head, right? It's got to be something that is just agreeable. Accepted as true. Accepted as true, right? And so that's just one line. State a problem. The next part of it was state the ramifications if that problem's not solved. So let's plug it back into my introduction. I would say objections are difficult to overcome. And if they're not overcome, you become a free consultant, right? That's the ramifications of that problem not being solved. Okay, free consultants basically are not making a lot of money. Hence the term free, right? We're there at a networking event to make money. So problem, ramifications, and then solution. That's the next part of the template. The solution is, of course, whatever your product and service is. In this case, I know that at some point, I'm going to ask them to take a one evening sales course. It's a, a, a low entry point. It's not a really big commitment, low commitment level. So that's going to be the solution. I put on a one evening sales course for $59 so that salespeople do not become free consultants. So the third part of that is, is simply so that and you restate the ramifications. So let's summarize that. Problem, ramifications, if the problem's not solved, the solution so that the ramifications don't happen. And so this can be done in a lot of different means. It can be done mm-hmm. through videos. Video, this is great. It, um, text in an email, obviously verbal conversations. It really starts to turn their gut on wanting to solve that problem. And that's one way I believe that we can move people through a sales process without being pushy and proddy. And one thing I'm hoping that you all have, have noticed, at no point did I start talking about my services and how great they are mm-hmm. and the benefits to them, right? I'm, I'm talking more about their problem and we can actually sell them our services by describing their problem to them better than they can describe it to themselves. Now, we inject our services, right? We have to mention it. You know, that's the ultimate goal here is to move them to that. But I think that's how we build relationships and move people through a process um, Mm -hmm. in a non-yucky way. It sounds a lot like the attention, interest, desire, action, the AIDA of marketing. You know, you have to get their attention. You have to create an interest so that they are, you know, intrigued as to what it is that you're saying. And then you foster a desire within them to take an action. Pretty interesting stuff. I think the the key of what is being discussed here is building trust, isn't it? It's building that relationship, getting people to trust you. And at one time I had someone knock on my door and it was a very sweet, very kind gentleman. He was saying that, oh, I don't know if you know, but there's actually a hole in your roof 
um, just on the side. And then he handed me a business card and it was really, very kind of him to spot that out. It was true that she was, uh, it was sort of like on the side of the house, but the first thing that came to my mind was, did he create that hole? <laughs> did he make that? And he, and he handed me a business card. It's like, you know, just, I'm a, I'm a handyman. I can fix that for you. And, but because I had no relationship with them, there's no, this was my first time meeting him. That wasn't received well. It's actually received with a lot of uh, skepticism. So I told my landlord at the time, he says, oh, no, I never trust people like that. I know I know a guy, I've got a long relationship with them and he can fix that. And that's basically how, what happened. So even though he pointed out the problem, he didn't get the sale because uh, it was probably too, too on the nose. It was, uh, it was probably too soon. There was no trust that had been built there before you know, we, weeding in the sale. So, because uh, it was very suspicious to have someone knock on your door and tell you there's a problem and hand you a business card. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, build, building trust is actually what builds community, especially online. Like we are a pre-marketing Kickstarter or other fundraising uh, platform uh, marketing. And the point of pre-marketing is to build that trust so you can do the marketing. And we actually get a lot of uh, people that call us and contact us and say, hey, you know what? I'm one day in, I'm three days in, I'm a week into my Kickstarter and it's not working. And of course, you know, the, the first thing we usually ask or, or ask them is, well, where's your community? How big is your community? And a lot of times they, they don't have one. What? what? What's a community? <laughs> what, what, what community? <laughs> it's like, yeah, my mom and my eight cats uh, were ready to back me on day one. And you know, Andrew, I, we were part of like this uh, Facebook ads group with all these different marketers. What's ama- what amazes me for a group that's full of marketers and salespeople, how bad some people are at sales and marketing in that group. The other people have a, like a legitimate question and then they'll get some glib answer and says, oh, but if you want you know more details, DM me. And obviously what they're going to do in that DM is they're going to try to sell them something. So I don't know how they think that's going to ever work <laughs> you know, yeah. because there's, there's no trust there. You know, If you give me a little bit of advice, but I have no relationship with you, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have a DM conversation with someone and then make a purchase. It's never going to happen. So I don't know how that ever works for people. I have made it, you know, part of my routine to just share thoughts of mine on marketing in several Facebook groups and as your, you know, respond to people's needs with, with an answer without asking them to, to, you know, jump on my bandwagon and pay me some money for marketing services. And what ends up happening is, you know, over time I become kind of known as an authority in those places and people are, you know, I, I had the CEO of, of, a, of a large board game company say that I was, uh, refer me as their, as like a marketing expert that could be trusted. And, uh, this was the CEO of Simon he referred me, tagged me in a in a uh, comment, and said, "You know, you should talk to this person." And it's it's not because he has a personal experience with me per se, but he's seen all the things that I've talked about. He's seen that that, that I've added value, and he, in essence, vouched for me as a trustworthy human. To your point, I'm just curious if any of you have an example of things that you do in order to to build trust, move people through a process. Uh, that that you're currently using yeah. or, or doing that works for you. Usually start with Facebook ads. That's where our target market usually is with board games. And we create ads, as you said, that build intrigue. So they're more stylistic. They're more to get people emotionally interested in whatever we're selling. 
And then we direct yeah. them to a landing page, which intentionally lacks detail. <laughs> it's almost like that's just designed to produce even more intrigue so that they submit an email, which is basically like the business card in your example. With this email, we then instantly invite them to a community where they can talk to other people interested in the same topic or the same theme. And then through a period of about two months, we have we give them updates on the game. And then finally, we... we to up, you know updates until the Kickstarter launch, which is when they're gonna gonna make a purchase, make a make a sale, and then with this whole community, we push them all at the same time to to make purchases on that single day, and that's sort of the the process that that we build. Also, uh, just real quick, in the, in that community, we also get them involved um, by like asking questions, like, "Oh, what do you think of this this technique versus this one?" or "What do you think of the artwork on this?" or you know, so that way everyone in the community actually feels like they're a part of the project. Um, and that's, that's really big. And those are really want the ones that convert very well. You used a word there, intrigue. And I really want to honor you because you just used that so accurately in the sales process and so often used inaccurately. So people think creating intrigue is telling them how great your products or services are how the, the outcome, the benefits are so amazing. And that is just so wrong. What creates intrigue isn't giving information. What creates intrigue is holding back information. And that's exactly how you use that. You mentioned they come to this and now there's even more intrigue because there's not a lot of information. We have to really, really hold that at a high level and know the power of that. So I can't emphasize enough that when somebody uses the term create intrigue, what doesn't work is giving a bunch of information. What works is holding back information. And so I just really want to honor you for that. That's awesome. Thank you for saying that. I think that when, so when I made cold calls, I, you must have taught this to me because I got it from somewhere, but the things that people need to know are who you are. They need to know your name they need to know why you're calling. And I, I may have missed one, but basically there are these three boxes that, you know, it's like, hi, my name is Andrew. I, uh, oh, and how you found them. Uh, you know, hi, my name's Andrew. I found you on the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce's website. And I was hoping to talk to somebody about a potential fit between our businesses. Uh, I, I normally talk to whoever's, you know, in charge of marketing. Is that you? And oftentimes because the three boxes are, addressed. I've said who I am. I've said how I found them. And I've said what I'm calling about. Uh, we'll say like the receptionist has no question to ask me. Their only questions are, what is your name or what is your company? How did you find us? And why are you calling? But if I address all of those things, the only thing that they had left to do was to say yes or no. <laughs> and, and I found that the less professional that I sounded the more often I would actually get through to talk to the business owner. And it's funny because in, in a similar manner for our landing pages, uh, board gamers or whoever, you know, we're marketing to, they, they have three questions. They, they're like, you know, the first is, you know, just to, to know that they're at the right place. So like if they click on an ad, they, they look at the ad, then they click on it. They want to know that the landing page is, consistent with what it is that they clicked on. So they're at the right place. Then they want to know what is it? 
They want to know the answer to what is it. And then third, they want to know how it plays. Like, how does the game actually feel when you're playing it? They're not looking to know the actual rules, but I find that through this process, if we answer those three questions, then it really increases the likelihood of a conversion um, or, you know, that it, you know, they get out, but they make a decision versus that, you know, needing more information, not having enough time and saying, I'll think about it, which, you know, they don't come back and put their email address in three hours later after they've thought about it, nor do they think about it at all. So, you know, answering those questions kind of gets, gets people to a decision point a lot faster. It's interesting you say that because in cybersecurity, one of the, I suppose, more deadly uh, forms of hacking is uh, social hacking uh, called spear phishing, where someone will, for instance, ring a company and say, oh, I'm, you know, the uh, personal assistant of someone in the company. They just found like a public directory of someone like, you know, they're on holiday and very friendly. They then get all this information. They suddenly get access to all the sensitive information because they've talked their way in there. And that could be a very dangerous means of hacking. I think uh, people who answer the phone, which uh, in some books they call the gatekeepers, I I think they're so used to like not getting that information that it just sometimes, I think it rolls over. Maybe Dan, you have a solution to this because a lot of times I'll call. And this is actually just returning like a call from someone who's contacted me and I'm just following up on something. And so I'm like, oh, hi, this is, you know, I, when they answer, I'm like, hi, uh, this is Rick from Next Level Web. Um, I'm just following up on a conversation with so-and-so. Are they available? And a lot of times they're like, oh, wait, who? Wait, where are you from? It's like I already told them the information, but it just went over their head. And I'm wondering if there's any way to maybe present it better so that it doesn't go over their head. Like they literally like can remember the one sentence I said, right? Right. When they answered the phone. (laughs) Yeah. uh, The gatekeeper question is just such a great question. And we have to know that they have the interest of their company in mind. And so it is important to get them on your side and and you almost have to sell to them and let them know, look, here's the deal. I got this, this, this. Your boss doesn't take calls from people that he knows, but he's never going to know about this. What do you recommend? And, and, and kind of get them on your side. Now, we, we use the term gatekeeper there. This would be in a really structured business where you have somebody answering the phones. They're directing those phone calls. And so obviously just treating that person with respect, uh, bringing them into the sales process is probably the best recommendation there. But a lot of times you don't have to go through that person. And here is an example of that. I mentioned earlier that I was uh, extremely successful in cold calling Harley-Davidson dealerships. Uh, The reason that this was important to me is I was teaching sales and putting on motivational experiential seminars, but I had a dream of living in Rome, Italy. And I couldn't live in Italy if I'm teaching sales in the classroom in the United States. And so I needed a remote income, you know, and I also didn't want to be working all the time, right? I wanted to be riding my bike up and down the Tiber River in, in Rome and not working. So I created a, a marketing company. Uh, I've, I've had a fir- multiple motorcycles and multiple Harley Davidsons. One of them was a first place show winning Harley Davidsons, Harley Davidson. Uh, I know, I know bikes. And so I created um, a marketing product for Harley Davidson dealerships. And it was really good marketing product. And, and so the first part of the sales call is having success stories, having an example of somebody that has used this and it made them money in a measurable way. 
And so it may even be in some cases we have to give away the, the product at first, pull somebody into this. It wasn't my case, but now I'm making these calls and I have to call the owner of a Harley Davidson dealership who doesn't know who I am and sell this person on my services. And, and I know the layout of Harley Davidson dealerships. Now, there's somebody that's in charge of answering the phones and directing phone calls, and I don't want to talk to that person. So what I would do is I would call and I would ask to be put to the clothing department. Now, the clothing department, and again, use this in any fashion, any industry. You know, this is about learning about your prospect. Uh, and so I would ask to be pushed to the clothing person. I know the clothing person has a perfect view of the entire dealership. This person is going to be able to look around and know where everybody is at and isn't tasked to keep people from talking to the owner. So now I'm talking to the clothing person and I know the owner's name. It is Mark. And I say, you know, just friendly way. Hey, it's Dambo. Just call him. Do you see Mark around there anywhere? Yeah, I see him right over there in his office. I'll push you through to him. Now I got Mark on the phone. This should send a shriek of fear up your spine because you're calling to close Mark. He doesn't know who you are. And this is what I'd say to Mark. Hey, it's Dambo, Sales Spike. If I sent you something on how one dealership sold more bikes, would you look at it? Very low commitment. I'm not telling them how great everything is. I'm just going to share some information and I'm not blowing it up. If I sent you something on how I helped 100 dealers make millions of dollars, would you look at it? That's salesy, right? But I'm just saying, hey, right. if I sent you something on how one dealership sold more bikes, would you look at it? Who's going to say no to that? <laughs> and, and the very next thing he would say, yeah, send it to my email. Here's my email. Well, the real work isn't done yet because these people are busy and I need him or her um, to watch the video. And that's what I'm going to send them. It's going to be a video and it's going to be very, very compelling. And so once he gave me or her, once she gave me or he gave me the email address, the very next thing I would say is, look, have a pen and paper out. This moves very fast. Okay. You see how I'm not being, how do you say, overly friendly. I'm not being, I don't know, overly nicey nice. It's like I'm telling them what to do. Look, have a pen and paper out. This moves very fast. You're going to want to watch it on a computer with speakers. Now, I know that 0% of the people that watch this video on a phone go forward. And I know that 90% of them that watch it on a computer go forward. So I'm going to reiterate that when I send it. Watch it on a computer with speakers. Now, now there's some intrigue there, right? Well, sheesh, I have to have a pen and paper out. This guy seemed a little bit bossy. You know, he wasn't like the typical person calling and selling me stuff. The video is simply not how great your products are. It's the result it got for another person, another company. And it kind of starts off, hey, we're going to show you how one company sold more bikes. But instead of talking about it, let me show you. And it's a screen capture of doing searches in, in, of a certain motorcycle in a certain location. And my video is coming up of these bikes. And some of these videos got 400,000 views. It's compelling. You cannot watch this video without wanting to learn more. Still doesn't know how much it is, what the product is, or anything like that. 
I'm going to call back two days later and I'm just going to set a demo. And I don't, I don't want to hear that he watched it. I don't want to hear or she watched it. I'm just going to set that demo. And, you know, he or she may have said, I haven't watched it yet. I go, that's fine. We can go over it on the demo. What do you have Tuesday or Wednesday, right? We've got to move them through a process. So ideally we want them to watch the video and be intrigued by the time they get to the demo. But I know if I get them on a demo, I'm going to be able to close them. I would close 50% of people that I would do a demo for. That's a huge number coming from a cold call. And again, it was because it was a good product. You know, it the SEO was huge. The, the YouTube views were huge. And it actually created a lot of bike sales for these companies and took a lot of work away from their marketing department, their sales team. And so I think that is a really important part of the cold calling structure is what's next for them? What are they going to have to do? And how do we make that as easy as possible? And let's jump to that. And what's worked for me in the past is right from introduction and after mentioning everything that Andrew Lowen mentioned, you know, who am I? What's my company? How did I know about them? Really quick, I go to, if I sent you something on how another dealership sold more bikes, would you look at it? Yes or no? That I think really helped it be more amiable. It was not about telling them uh, that I can solve their problems or anything like that. It's just giving them information. And so I think that's mm -hmm. something that we can use and inject into a lot of different sales campaigns and marketing campaigns. Yeah. You know, I think actually one, one of our core tenets really is that it is our job to get people to absorb information. The more information they absorb, the more they're going to, you know, because our stuff is uh, board games and experiential kind of product, the more they're going to want to experience that. You know, if we talk to them about, you know, what the game is, and then we show them art pieces and talk about the combat system or the whatever it is, you know, it's like they're going to want to know more and they're going to be more interested in in buying and and that sort of thing. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to Dan Bo for all of his great advice. And we hope to see him again soon. Also, this is a two-part episode. So hang on till next week to listen to part two. If you're interested in more about crowdfunding, visit us on our Facebook group, Crowdfunding Nerds Community, I believe is what it's called these days. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> It, it changes every once in a while. Uh, check us out there and also uh, like us on your favorite podcasting player. And we will see you next week and stay nerdy.